Welcome to Truth for Transformation with Timothy Brown. Timothy is the lead pastor of Arden First Baptist Church in Arden, North Carolina. Our mission is to lead ordinary people into extraordinary life in Christ. We pray that today's message inspires you to live an extraordinary life in Jesus Christ. Check out our website for more inspiring resources, ardenfbc.com. Now, here's today's message from Pastor Timothy Brown. We're going to be in Acts 25 and 26. If you want to turn there, if you don't have a Bible, uh, you can pull up the Uversion Bible app on your phone and just follow along with us. As you turn there, I want to tell you about a story I came across this week. A farmer had a daughter, and she was the age to get married. So he was, you know, going through the different suitors. People like want to marry her. So one guy said, "I'm ready to propose to your daughter. Can I have her handed marriage?" So the farmer said, "Well, I will let you marry her on one condition. I'm going to open this barn door over here, and I have three cows that are going to come out, cows slash bulls. And if you will grab the tail of just one of them, only the tail of just one of them, you can marry my daughter." But keep in mind, it's hard to grab the tail of a bull that's running. So he's like, all right, I got it. So the young man, a little in trepidation, a little shaken, stood in the field, the farmer watching. He opened the barn and, get him on, come on, boy. And the, the cow started running. It was actually a big bull. And it looked like this. It was running across the field. This big steer, you know, a bull with horns. And he's like, I'm going to take my chances with the second cow, bull, whatever comes out of that barn. So he got out of the way. The bull ran right through the open back gate into the open pasture land. He's like, all right, I've got to grab the tail of just one of the remaining two. So the second bull came out. And this was the biggest, (laughs) ugliest bull. The farmer was sitting there laughing and grinning. He's like, I got him now. So this guy's like, I've never seen a bull snarl like that, stampede the ground like that. Give me those bull eye looks, stare down. So he ran out of the way and the the bull went on through a little slower to the other side. Finally, the third cow was released. And it was the smallest looking bull he had ever seen. I mean, this cow was, I mean, it didn't look like a bull to him. He's like, I got it. So, but it started running really fast. And he dove to reach the tail. And when he grabbed for the tail, there was no tail. The bull had no tail. So he missed the opportunity of a lifetime. Now, the moral of that crazy bull story is that sometimes if you overthink something, you may miss it. How many overthinkers do we have in the room? You overthink something, the opportunity has gone. How many of you are on the other extreme of the spectrum? You're a risk taker. You're willing to sell the family farm, go for it. I was like 100% that way until I had kids, and I, I'm about 80% that way. I'm still that way, but... You know, but sometimes you miss the opportunity of a lifetime when it's right in front of you. So today I want to speak to a group of people here and online that you're going through a trial. And this trial seems very stressful. Some of you came in this room with tears. Some of you have lost it with your kids, with your spouse. You've had arguments this week. Some of you who are retired, you're like getting a little antsy and like I thought retirement life was more than this. And you find yourself in a trial. And what I want to do is to change the way you view the way you look at trials. Because if you can change the way you view look at trials, it'll change the way you think about it. What if the present trial you're in is actually actually the opportunity of a lifetime? You just haven't seen it yet. 
you know, like if possible. Well, give me, give me 30 minutes and hopefully by the end, God will change your mind. So we have the Apostle Paul. He is standing trial because of his faith in Jesus. And into the courtroom, we're going to see some interesting folks. So let's look at Acts 25, and we're going to be going through a whole chapter today. How many of you, by a show of hands, think I can get through a chapter in, in about 30, 35, 40 minutes? How many of you think it's not possible? All right. For, all right. So let's go. Let's, let's jump into it. So we're going to start in Acts 25, verse 23, where we picked off last week. It says, so the next day when Agrippa and Bernice, someone say Bernice. They came with great pomp and entered the auditorium with the commanders and the prominent men of the city. At Festus' command, Paul was brought in. So here's, before we go to verse 24, it's interesting. I underline the word. It talks about great pomp. It's where we get our word, English word from it, fantasy. So I want, I want to draw the, con- the comparison and contrast. Paul's going to come in. He's wearing chains. And the Bible doesn't tell us what Paul looked like. We only have one eyewitness account. It's not in the Bible, so we can't verify it. But according to this one eyewitness account, they described Paul as short. So he was short. He was bow-legged, so I guess that means he walked like, you know, a little injury. So he's short, bow-legged. He was completely bald, and he had the Anthony Davis unibrow. So picture that, short, bow-legged, bald, Crawling in, not very attractive to look at. And on the other hand, you had Agrippa and Bernice wearing all this pompous, flowery clothing regalia of a king and queen. So that's that's the courtroom setting. All right, next verse. It says, and he entered with the commanders and the prominent men in the city. Verse 24. So Festus says, King Agrippa and all the men who are present here, you see this man about whom the whole assembly of the Jews petitioned me both at Jerusalem and here, crying out that he was not fit to live any longer. But when I found that he had committed nothing deserving of death and he himself appeared to Augustus, I decided to send him. I have nothing certain to write concerning my Lord. Therefore, I have brought him out before you and especially before you, King Agrippa, so that after the examination has taken place, I may have something to write. For it seems to me unreasonable to send a prisoner and not to specify the charges against him. So here's the first truth. We're going to have three mind-bending truths about how to reframe your situation. Truth number one, how do I see my trials differently? It's this, God can turn your worst setback into your greatest setup. God can turn your worst setback into your greatest setup. So does anybody know where the word opportunity comes from? Any, any English lit majors? I didn't know, but when I, when I was studying this message, it comes from the root word port. And when you think of port, you think of an ocean, a lake. When, whenever they open the port, boats come in. So here's how the, the word came about its meaning, that whenever the waters were calm, Whenever there was no dangerous storms, they would open up the port and the boats would come in and they would do trade and have commerce. So if you wanted to do business, you had to seize the opening of the port, the opportunity. So here's Paul. When you look at Paul, some people see Paul as like, all right, this guy's on trial. He doesn't want to die. Nobody wants to die. That's how most people see Paul. But when Paul sees a situation, he sees Agrippa and... Bernice, he sees Festus, he sees prominent wealthy men in the city, he sees an audience, and all of a sudden the prisoner is going to become the preacher. 
You think you got me chained. Guess what? I've got a captive audience. I'm not the one captive. You are. So let's look at who he's in front of. First of all, King Agrippa. I told you last week we'd go in more detail about him. So if you look on your listening guide, I hit a few highlights. His great-grandfather was Herod the Great. Herod the Great was the guy that tried to kill baby Jesus. He was unsuccessful. So he slaughtered all the babies two years and under in the region of Bethlehem. That was, that was his grandfather, his great-grandfather. His grandfather was Herod Antipas. Does anybody remember who he killed in the Bible? John the Baptist. So you're seeing a trend. Anyone that has anything to do with Jesus, they're taking him out. All right. His father was Herod Agrippa I, where he got his name from. He was the one that beheaded James the Apostle. And he also tried to kill Peter, but he was unsuccessful. You remember the, the angel let Peter out at night. So this is who Paul is heading in front, front of. Anyone that has anything to do with Christianity, you're going to be gone. So how many of you would be a little nervous to stand in front of this family line, this Herodian dynasty? I, I would be a little shaken in my sandals. But then you have Bernice. I told you last week there was a lot of scandal about this lady. Okay. So Bernice, you know, a lot of times we talk about famous women that have impacted cultures. We talk about Marilyn Monroe. We talk about different ones that some reason all the men in power just want that woman. All right. So this was the New Testament version of that. Bernice was beautiful. She had a charming personality. She was a woman that got what she wanted. Now don't hit the person next to you, but she was that late. She got what she wanted. All right. And if Bernice wasn't happy, ain't nobody in the world going to be happy, okay? So Bernice got married for the first time when she was 13. She married a famous guy. He was related to a famous philosopher. And all of a sudden, the guy dies. So now she's a widow, teenage widow. But she decides to, I'm over it. I mean, that was a short marriage. She got married the second time. I think she was around 16. So for her sweet 16th birthday, she became a queen. She married... It was like her uncle, his name also was Herod. That's kind of gross, right? It was over a region of Syria. So she got married again. And a few years later in time, he dies. So now she's like in her 20s and she doesn't know what to do. All my husbands have died. So now she goes to her brother, Herod Agrippa II, the family line that we told you about. And according to the rumors in the the culture They were having an affair going on, a sexuous relationship, which is totally gross to think about. But that was the rumored, and Josephus, the historian, confirmed and said it's true. What you guys are hearing happening. And that's why every time you see Herod Agrippa, almost every time, it says Anne Bernice. You read through Acts, it was Agrippa and Bernice. So they started all this talk in the town. You know, did you hear about Herod and Bernice? Yeah, she's beautiful, but I mean, her brother has something going on with her. And that was the talk of the town. So Herod wanted to maintain his reputation, whatever he had left of it. So he sent her away to get married for the third time. So this guy, it's quite fascinating. And I encourage you guys to do a Google search on her. It's, it's the stuff that you reveal is just like, wow. So this guy was also a ruler and it was the region of Cilicia. And the guy, in order to marry her, even though the Herodian dynasty, they were Edomites, they were related to Jews, but you wouldn't call them full-blooded Jewish. They still had Jewish customs. They were like, all right, you can marry Bernice, but you have to have adult male circumcision. So the guy's like, all right, I'll do it. (laughs) All for Bernice. So he gets circumcised, goes through that. Bernice is like, I don't really like this guy. I I prefer to. So she moves back in with her brother. Okay, so that's where this picks up. And when Paul's standing in front of them, 
Think about this couple. You got the guy family line trying to take out the Messiah and you got Bernice. So how would you feel if you were Paul standing in front of this audience? I'd be like, this, this feels a little awkward, a little weird. I don't know what I'm going to say, you know, but so the story gets worse. When you think it could not get worse after this meeting that Paul's having, Bernice meets somebody by the name of Titus. Does anybody recognize that name in history? Titus, the conqueror. He was the guy that in time eventually ransacked. He was the general that ransacked Jerusalem, destroyed the temple. So Bernice, who's supposed to be pro-Jewish, basically becomes the mistress of the guy that's going to kill thousands and thousands and thousands of Jews and destroy the temple. So as Bernice moves to Rome and is Titus's mistress, the people begin to talk in Rome. So Bernice, everywhere she goes, people start talking. They're like, you've got to get rid of this girl. It's going to be another Cleopatra situation. So Titus has to decide he's going to be the next emperor of Rome. So they're like, Titus, you have to decide it's Bernice or being emperor of Rome. What do you want? Hmm, tough decision. Bernice, Rome. So he chooses to be the emperor of Rome. They send Bernice packing. And the history tells us Bernice actually moves back to Rome and hoping that Titus will fall back for her after he seizes power. But get this, Titus was emperor for two years and then he died. I don't think he should have chose Bernice, but power didn't last that long. So Paul stands before this group. And, you know, here's the thing. When you're in prison, it's easy to lose perspective. Paul's been in prison for two years in Caesarea and he's on trial now. And he's going to eventually be prisoner in Rome, the first imprisonment for two years. And when you think about it, this is a great setback from a human perspective. I mean, Paul could have started more churches he could have went on another missionary journey. He could have raised up more leaders. We need more Timothys in the world, right? More Tituses in the world. He could have raised up more ministry teams, started more churches, evangelized more lost. But now he's behind prison. He's, he's like chained up to soldiers a lot of the time. And what I want to encourage you is this, that sometimes the greatest setback in your life turns to be the greatest setup. Sometimes the worst thing to ever happen to you becomes the best thing that ever happened for you from eternity's perspective. And you're like, that's impossible, Timothy. I don't, I don't believe that. You don't know what happened. I don't know what happened to you. But the Bible says if you love God and you surrender these situations to him, I don't know how it's going to work out, but in eternity, it's not here and now on earth all the time, but from eternity, the Bible says that God in his time will work together all things for good, right? To those who love him and call it according to purpose. It doesn't apply for the person not following God. But think about the worst thing in human history from a human perspective. The crucifixion of Jesus, an innocent man giving his life for wicked people. Wasn't the worst thing, but the worst thing that ever happened became the best thing that ever happened for us. So I want to encourage you. I wasn't planning on sharing this story, but I was thinking about when I was pastoring in Hendersonville, the worst thing that ever could happen to this lady did. She got cancer. And this was a terminal cancer. She was in her 70s. This lady lived in downtown Hendersonville and they were like, Pastor, you need to go visit this lady. She's dying. So I went to go visit her and kind of her background. She's very educated, master's, doctorate degree, something like that. She was in politics, very well spoken. And it's like she's dying. So what do you do? You're in a room of someone that's dying, got days and weeks left to live. So the Lord gave me a chance to connect with her and then to share Christ with her. And she's like, I've never heard the gospel. I mean, smart as she was, she had never heard that you got to accept Jesus 
asked for forgiveness. She thought if you believe in God, you're good. That's, that was what she thought. So she accepted Jesus and she became a believer from death to life. Amen. And so she started going to my church and my church at that time, just, just to kind of give you a picture. It was a church for people who didn't like church. So the music was much louder than this. It was very edgy. So you had this 70-year-old woman listen to pretty much like a rock band. I mean, it was just like she was sitting there week after week after week. And a few weeks later, she went to be with the Lord. So when you think about it, cancer was the worst thing that ever happened to her. But because she accepted Jesus, it became the best thing that happened for her. Because now she's cancer-free in glory. Amen. So you have Paul standing and you have him talking to these people. And what's interesting is God is bringing something good out of the situation, even though he can't see it. And if you look on your listening guide, what happens while Paul's in prison? He writes how many books of the Bible? You have four books of the Bible. Now, Paul was like some of you, very always going. How many of you can't slow down? You don't know S-L-O-W means slow how slow can you go because you're just you're so busy and so busy and you're like i'm retired but i'm busy and i just don't know i just can't slow i can't slow down and i thought when i retire life would be better but i'm more busier now than ever and some of you young families it's like man i i thought when i got out of school life would be easier but now life is more chaotic than ever you're so b-u-s-y you ain't got no alibi you're busy 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 so sometimes god has to slow you down and say rest my child Because some of you, if you're not slowed down, you don't hear what God's trying to tell you. And while Paul was slowed down, most scholars think in Roman imprisonment, he wrote four books of the Bible. We call these the prison epistles, and they are Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, and Philemon. So prison was the worst thing from a human perspective, but listen, we're reading the Bible, four books, because Paul was in prison. Amen. All right, reality number two, and I've got to speed up because I've got a whole chapter to cover now. That was just the intro. All right. Reality number two. The opportunity of a lifetime is every time you get to share Jesus with someone who's lost. Every time you get to share Jesus with someone who's lost. So look at chapter 26. Then Agrippa said to Paul, you are permitted to speak for yourself. So Paul stretched out his hand, which what they would do in that day to say, I'm beginning my speech in today's um, culture would be like you're clearing your throat i got something to say so he stretched out his hand and he said i think myself happy king agrippa now you just got to pause there i think myself happy you're in prison two years you got two more years coming you're eventually going to die as a martyr for a christian you think yourself happy paul paul what are you thinking you're standing before agrippa who tries to kill every christian that messes with his calls and you're standing before bernice And Festus, and you think yourself happy? But see, here's what Paul understood that sometimes we forget. Every time you get to share Christ with someone that's an unbeliever, if they accept Christ, all of a sudden, the worst thing that you can imagine, the worst crisis, the worst trial that you can go through comes into the opportunity of a lifetime. Because here's the thing. Even if the worst case scenario, you die, if you get to share Christ and someone lives, Your death is just temporary, right? You're just changing bodies and you're moving locations, right? This week I have a chance to do two memorial services and something I say that shocks people is this person's actually not dead. Their body died, but they're not dead. They just changed locations, right? They're still alive. So here's the thing. Every chance you get to share Jesus with someone that's not a believer, 
It's the opportunity of a lifetime. So let's look at verses 4 through 22. I'm going to summarize. We've already covered this twice. This is the third time Paul shares his testimony. So if you want to get the full uh, notes on it, uh, you can go back and look at Acts 9, Acts 22, and we, we've done it twice. So the, basically the summary of his testimony was, here's who I was before Christ. He, you know, I was trying to persecute the church. I was hell-bent to destroy the church. And all of a sudden I saw a bright light shine from heaven. And it was noonday. Noonday is the hottest part of the day for most places, the brightest part of the day. And what's interesting, in the brightest part of the day, I saw a light brighter than the sun. God's glory is always greater and brighter and bolder and more powerful than, than his creation. So as bright as the sun is on noonday, I saw a brighter light. And that light was so bright, it blinded me. I lost sight. And I lost sight so that I could gain sight. Once I lost my physical sight and I saw and I heard the voice of Jesus and he said, Saul, Saul, who are you? Why are you? And he said, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And Saul said, who are you? And the voice said, I am Jesus whom you're persecuting. And then the voice says something unique. It's hard for you to kick against the ox goads or the pricks. And you're like, I've heard of someone say, don't be a prick. What does that mean? What's the ox goad? And the idea behind the ox goad is... Back to the bull illustration we started with, if you're a farmer and the bull or cow doesn't move, back in the day they'd have a sharp pointed stick. And what would you do to get the bull or cow to move? you jab it a little bit, right? That's before they had uh, pita laws. They would jab it, the animal would go. And so Paul, what, what Jesus was saying is, Paul, you're like this wild cow. And you keep kicking against the ox goad. And listen, it's hurting you. It's, it's jabbing into your foot, jabbing into your leg, but it's not hurting me. And here's the thing. You can rebel against God all you want. It, it hurts God's heart from, from a perspective, but it doesn't actually, it's not going to hurt God because he's, he's God, right? He doesn't need us. We need him. So here's the thing. Paul is kicking back and God is reaching out. And finally, Paul surrenders. And on that road of Damascus, he encounters Jesus and his life changes and he meets a guy named Ananias. And you guys remember the story. Ananias prays over Saul. He receives his sight and then he gets commissioned to the ministry. So we're going to review how to share your testimony. So this is kind of looking at Paul. He shares his testimony three times. And you're like, why is it three times in the Bible? The reason why it's three times, it's the power of a testimony. So here's a testimony. Number one is you got to connect with your audience. So whoever you're talking to, Paul is talking to Agrippa and Bernice and Festus, and he's connecting. I think that you're an expert in Jewish life. He's connecting. So here's point one, who I was before I met Christ. So do you remember what you were like before you met Jesus? That's, that's the past. Number two is how I met Jesus. So Paul would be like, I saw this bright light. I heard the voice for you. It's probably not a bright light or a voice for you. It may have been you went to a singing and all of a sudden this gospel song got a hold of you. For some of you, you heard a preacher sharing the gospel. You came forward. Some of you it was a Billy Graham message. Some of you it was a track, a chick track in a bathroom. There's so many ways, methods, but there's only one savior. So regardless of how you came to Jesus, it's like, here's how I accepted Jesus. Now, some of you have told me that you don't remember a moment in time. You've just said the prayer a lot of times. And the reality is, as long as you know you've done it, right? It's like, 
It's like someone's like, you know, I'm married. Oh, where's your wife? Well, I just, I, I think I'm married. You know, I have this fantasy person somewhere. No, it doesn't work in real life, right? In a relationship with Jesus, you have to invite him into your life. It's not just magical, mystical. It's, it's a relationship. And then part three is how my life has changed since I've become a Christian. And then you do a closing where Agrippa's like, we're going to talk in a little bit. And he's like, I, I, Paul's like, I wish you and everyone hearing me would respond to the gospel. So that's kind of how to share your testimony. So here's the challenge to you. This week, I want to encourage you to share your testimony with someone this week. All right. School is starting back soon. I think it's next week. So here's your assignment from the church schoolhouse. Find a person to share your testimony. And if you run out of time, you're like, I don't know. I don't know what to do. Post it on social media. Send someone a direct message. There's many ways you can share your testimony. But try to do one. How many of you are up for the challenge? You're like, I'm not used to homework. Well, now you got it. So you can, once that person accepts Christ, we can celebrate later, right? All right, reality number three. How do we change the way we think about trials? Do your best and leave the results to who? To God. Do your best and leave the results to God. So look down in verse 24. Now, as Paul made his defense... Festus said with a loud voice, Paul, you are beside yourself. Much learning is driving you mad. But he said, I'm not mad, most noble Festus, but speak the words of truth and reason. For the king before whom I speak freely knows these things. For I'm convinced that none of these things escapes his attention since this thing was not done in a corner. King Agrippa, do you believe the prophets? I know that you believe. Then Agrippa said to Paul, you almost persuade me to be a Christian. I think verse 28 is best translated. Some translations will say, are you trying to persuade me to be a Christian in such a short period of time? I think that's the best understanding of, of the Greek here. Verse 29, Paul said, I would to God that not only you, but all who hear me today may become altogether as I am, except without these chains. In other words, I want all of you to get saved, except I don't want any of you to be in prison like I am. When he had said these things, verse 30, the king stood up as well as the governor and... Bernice and those who sat with them. And when they had gone aside, they talk among themselves, saying, This man has done nothing deserving of death or chains. Then Grippa said to Festus, This man might have been set free if he had not appealed to Caesar. So Paul presents the gospel. How did his audience respond? Festus responded with a loud voice, basically saying, Paul, you are C R A Z Y. You are crazy. Have you ever been called crazy for being a Christian? People say you're just one of those uneducated people that, you know, you you, and they go off. And it's like, listen, people are going to call you names. So some people will call you crazy. That's one response. Agrippa's like, are you trying to persuade me so quickly? Do you think I'm going to accept Jesus this soon? So he's trying the delay tactic. I'll do it tomorrow. Have you ever heard anybody say, well, I just want to have a little more fun they usually don't use the word sin, but I want to enjoy my sin a little longer. And then when I get older and can't enjoy the sin as much, then I'll get saved. Anybody ever heard that? I've heard that, the delay tactic. So some people will call you crazy. Some people will say not today. But here's one thing they can't deny. They can't stop your prayers on their behalf. They can't stop the forward-moving progress of the gospel. They can't stop you from loving them right where they're at. Because as Christians, we love people unconditionally. Even if you reject Jesus, I'm still going to love you. Even if you never come to my church, I'm still going to love you. 
Christianity is the faith that has unconditional love, whereas other faiths and systems of works is conditional. If you'll do this, then I'll love you. If you'll jump through these hoops, then no, we love people unconditionally. So Paul presented Jesus and then the people responded in their way. So here's the thing. When you present Jesus, I want you to remember this. How many of you have ever gotten Uber Eats before or pizza delivery? All right. You are just the Uber Eats guy or girl. You don't make up the message. You just deliver the message and preferably hot and fast. Right. You don't want cold. You don't want them to send it back. So it's the power of the gospel that changes people, not us. But as a presenter, you you do your best for God and you leave the results to God. Do your best for God and leave the results to God. So there's three responses. And this is kind of a a takeoff of something C.S. Lewis, but changing the words. There's three ways to think about Jesus as you present Jesus. One is Jesus was the crazy man. Jesus was the crazy man. Anyone that thinks they're God and is not is crazy, right? You can go downtown Asheville and there's people that believe they're God. I can, you know, weird, weird, weird stuff happens, you know, sometimes. Don't go there late at night unless you have someone with you. you trust me, trust me. So anyone that says they're God and not is just crazy. They're missing a bolt somewhere. They've had too much pizza the night before, some kind of vision. The other option for Jesus is some people think he was a con man. You know what a con man does? They know exactly what they're doing, but they're trying to get a following. And if they get a following, then that power, influence, wealth. But we know Jesus wasn't crazy because he was very clear with who he said he was. We know that he wasn't a con man because there's many times he sent the crowds away. He gave such challenges. They're like, I I can't follow this, right? So he wasn't crazy. He wasn't a con The only possibility left for Jesus is he's the Christ. He's the Christ. And how do you know he's the Christ, you may ask? Well, one thing, and if you're a scientific mind, you can use this, is there are over 300 prophecies in the Old Testament that were fulfilled in Jesus' birth, life, ministry, death, and resurrection. Over 300. So if you want to believe that Jesus is the Christ, go back and research the 300. And if you just see one or two fall into place, it's like, wow, how can this be? How can someone predict their death and actually live and talk about it, right? How can someone predict a crucifixion years, hundreds of years before crucifixion was invented? Because Jesus is the Christ. He is the son of the living God. And Paul could stand with a little gospel grit. He could stand with a little swagger in his step. He could stand with a little confidence in his voice because he knew He had seen the living Jesus. And even though you may not see him physically, you can see him spiritually. You can encounter the living God. And for those of us who are Christians, we know we've experienced that. We felt that still small voice. We felt his comfort. We felt his peace. And what I want to encourage you is we can stand on the truth because we know Jesus is good. We know that Jesus is God. We know that he is the good shepherd. We know that he's the friend that sticks closer than a brother. We know that when you're in that trial, he will never leave you. He will never forsake you. We know that every tear that you cry, the psalmist says it's in his bottle. He sees every tear. Even when you feel alone, you're never alone because he said, I will never leave you and I will never forsake you. So my friend, when you're in a trial, I want you to realize that every chance you get to share Jesus with lost people is the opportunity of... And by the way, that's the big idea. Let's throw it on the screen one more time. And by the way, it's 1129. We did it over a chapter.
Give God a glory. <laughs> Sharing Jesus with the lost is truly the opportunity of a lifetime. So Bernice, she's yesterday's news. It's fun to talk about, right? King Agrippa, out of power. Festus, no longer. But this Paul, this short, bow-legged, bald, unibrowed man, that's not very impressive to look at, he changed the world because he had the gospel. And here's the good news. Even though you may not be like Paul, look like him, sound like him, if you capture the essence of the gospel, you too can change the world. Three take-home truths, and we're going to pray and bless the food, and you guys can pick up your kids and come meet us for a cookout. Who's, re- who's ready? I'm ready. All right. To action step number one. There we go. Ask God to turn your worst setback into your greatest setup for the kingdom. I don't know what you're going through. And see, this church has has grown to the size. I wish I could spend one-on-one time with all of you. And it's gotten to the point where we have a lot of ministers and a lot of people to help. And that's wonderful. I wish I could sit one-on-one with all of you and just cry with you and just sit there and just say, like, you're going to make it. You're going to get through this. No matter what happens to you, it's what God's doing in you. So, see, I don't know how it's going to happen. I just believe the Bible. That God's going to take the worst things that happen in your life. And if you surrender it to him, there's resurrection power on the inside. The worst dreams that have died, the greatest heartbreaks, the worst depression, the the divorce, the situations that thought would kill you. Don't forget, we serve a God of resurrection. And in his time, in his way, he's going to take the worst thing that happened to you. And from eternity's perspective, it's going to turn into the best thing that happened for you. Action step number two. Share your testimony with someone who doesn't know Jesus this week. Well, Timothy, I'm nervous. I'm shy. Start with an email. Start where you can. You may not feel confident one-on-one, but start, start where you're at, right? DM someone on Facebook. If you don't have Facebook, text message. If you don't text, pick up the phone. I mean, start somewhere. And at the end of the week, you're like, I forgot to do it. It takes 30 seconds to send your email. Action step three, and then we'll pray and a few closing announcements. Do your best in every situation this week. Paul's standing before Agrippa and and Festus, and he doesn't know the outcome, but he's doing his best, and he leaves the results to God. And that's what you have to do. You can't control people's emotional response. You can't control someone's heart, but you do your best for God every day and leave the results to him. Let's pray. Father, wow, your word is just, it's exciting. Even courtroom cases can make us excited if we just... Just understand the power of your word. And Lord, I just want to pray, first of all, for believers. I know there's believers here today. They came in here with tears. I know there's believers in here today. They came in here with depression, anxiety, panic. Uh, there's, there's believers here today that are discouraged right now. And God, I want to pray that they would take away this truth, if nothing else, that God, you can take the worst thing that ever happened to me. And somehow in your divine providence and your love and from eternity, somehow you can turn it into the best thing that happened for me. I don't know how, but I I believe you can. So just tell God right now what you're going through and say, God, you know. Ask God for help. And the times where you strayed in that struggle, you strayed in the struggle, just tell God, sorry, I'm coming back. Forgive me. When you're in a struggle, don't stray. Follow Jesus even more close. 
in the struggle, don't stray. And for believers here today, this is the opportunity of a lifetime to pray for those who don't know. And right now with everyone praying, there may be one here today. You've never asked Jesus to save you. You thought it was just if you believe God, you're good. But you never knew that it was a relationship where you had to invite God into your life. And the gospel says Christ died and rose again. He died so that sins can be forgiven. If you've never asked him to forgive you, you've never asked him to come into your life. Right now, no one look around. Just raise your hand. I want to pray for you. Anyone here, I want to accept Christ today. Just lift up your hand just for a moment. Need to accept Christ today. Online to send us a direct message. If that's you, I want you to say this prayer. Say, Dear God, I believe the gospel that Jesus died and rose again. And I want to invite Jesus into my life. I want to invite him to save me. So go ahead and tell him, say, Jesus, please save me. Jesus, please come into my life. Jesus, I'm turning from my sin and I'm turning to you. So please forgive me and tell him this. Jesus, I want to follow you from this day forward. Today, I am a Christ follower. Today, I have decided I am following you, Jesus, and there's no turning back. In Jesus name, we pray and all God's children said.